Forecast, a look at the week's biggest stories and what they mean from the editors at Factal. I'm Jimmy Levis. Today is August 25th, and in this week's forecast, we've got a meeting concerning Sweden and Finland's effort to join NATO, the Nord Stream 1 pipeline shutting down for maintenance, Shanghai reopening schools, Kosovo implementing a controversial license plate measure, and a look at recent attacks in Crimea. You can also read about these stories and more in our weekly newsletter, which you can find a link to in the show notes. Representatives from Turkey, Sweden, and Finland will meet on Friday. They'll be negotiating on what exactly the Nordic nations must concede for Turkey to approve their prospective NATO membership. Turkey initially opposed Sweden and Finland joining NATO on the grounds that they have supposedly harbored Turkish fugitives with ties to the Kurdistan Workers' Party and the Gulenist movement. Expanding NATO requires unanimous approval, so while a majority of NATO members have given their blessing, Turkey holds a veto. The three countries reached a breakthrough agreement in June that involves the extradition of Turkish fugitives, including 73 people from Sweden, and the lifting of a 2019 arms embargo on Turkey. Now, during this week's meeting, the three nations are expected to continue discussions on the deal's particulars, including exactly how many Turkish citizens could be extradited. Sweden alone is home to an estimated 100,000 Kurds. The United States could also step in on behalf of Sweden and Finland and agree to sell Turkey advanced fighter jets, despite previous commitments not to. Finally, Turkey has flirted with the idea of another incursion into Syria, and it is possible Turkey will leverage NATO allies to gain tacit support. Russia's Gazprom will shut down the Nord Stream 1 gas pipeline for three days of maintenance starting Wednesday. The shutdown has sparked concerns that a scarcity of supply will send gas prices soaring higher. Of course, the pipeline, which carries gas from Russia to Germany, is currently operating at just 20% of its full capacity. Russia said the reduction is due to Western sanctions hampering repairs to key equipment, but claimed Germany disputes, arguing instead that Russia is using gas as a foreign policy bargaining chip in its war strategy in Ukraine. Now, while Gazprom said it will restore supply after the three days of maintenance, analysts are concerned Russia could use technical difficulties as a pretext to extend the shutdown. Such a move would cause gas prices in Europe to rise beyond already high levels, in turn spiking inflation and raising the risk of recession. Students across Shanghai will return to in-person classes on Thursday, with schools set to open months after closing. Schools across the city have been closed since March as part of China's zero-coronavirus policy and the ensuing lockdown in April and May during the country's worst outbreak. While some middle school and high school students returned in June, others remained remote. Students and teachers will be required to undergo a two-week self-health evaluation before returning to school and will have to take daily coronavirus tests before returning home from classes. Now, while this is a step towards easing restrictions in China's main finance hub, Many are still worried another lockdown could be issued, especially in light of reports of a shopping center being shut down in mid-August and several residential areas sealed off. Still, with higher accessibility to testing through the end of September, the hope remains that schools can now stay open. Kosovo will implement controversial measures impacting license plates and identification cards for ethnic Serbs on Thursday, 
Originally set to begin a month ago, the plans were postponed after tensions broke out along Kosovo's border with Serbia, with gunfire and road barricades along multiple sectors. Kosovo, which declared independence from Belgrade in 2008 and remains partially recognized, is seeking to mirror Serbian measures by forcing Serbs visiting Kosovo to obtain additional identification to enter the country, along with mandating ethnic Serbs in Kosovo acquire Kosovar license plates. Now, the upcoming deadline follows EU-backed talks in Brussels, talks that involved both heads of state but failed to achieve a breakthrough. And with talks failing and long-running EU-backed normalization talks continuing to stall, the risk of a repeat of last month's intentions appear likely. Serbian President Aleksandr Vucic already warned that Belgrade will move to protect ethnic Serbs in Kosovo if it has to, while the NATO peacekeeping mission said it will increase presence if necessary. Our last item for this forecast is on the recent attacks in Crimea. For more on that, I spoke with our Europe desk lead, Alex Moore. Hi, Alex. Hello, Jimmy. Well, Alex, it's been six months since Russia's full invasion of Ukraine, but it seems like these recent attacks in Crimea stand out quite a bit. Can you catch us up to speed on them? You know, what what exactly went down? Uh, Yes, you are correct to point out that they stand out a bit. Um, The last two weeks has witnessed sort of the first systemic targeting of of Crimea, which was occupied and annexed by Russia, of course, back in 2014. Uh, So beginning August 9th, we've witnessed sort of a spate of explosions. Um, The first one, uh, arguably the most, the the biggest one, most impactful, Um, a large explosion rocked Saki Air Base and destroyed seven or eight Russian jets. And more blasts followed after that. Uh, an ammo depot in North Crimea cooked off after an explosion. And on now a, a handful of occasions, at least a half dozen, Russian air defense has been activated over Crimea uh, across multiple locations. There's been Sevastopol on a handful of occasions where one drone strike successfully hit the Black Sea Fleet headquarters, actually, for Russia, which is the naval force responsible for the Ukraine area of operations for the most part. But uh, there have been other ones as well, including over Kerch, uh, in the Kerch Strait, where air defense intercepted a drone over the Crimean Bridge, which is sort of the symbol of Russian occupation of Crimea. It's where the the Kurt Strait incident in 2018 happened, which was sort of the first time in the course of the war that, you know, uniformed Russian soldiers and uniformed Ukrainian soldiers uh, shot at each other. So a lot happening in Crimea. That's got to be a pretty big success for Ukraine then, right? Yeah, and it should be noted that they haven't exactly taken responsibility. Um, they've been sort of, uh, I don't want to say tight lip, but um, there have been a handful of reports that indicate that the attacks are the work of the Ukrainian forces. Now, the question there is how exactly they've done this. So, you know, there have been a series of reports in, in major U.S. media citing Ukrainian officials saying that it's done through sabotage of, uh, of saboteurs that are in Crimea. I consider this to be the most likely one, that we've got teams of Ukrainians in Crimea that are sort of like flying small drones and dropping explosives on these places. I think the abundance of air defense activity over places like Sevastopol over the past couple of weeks sort of makes that theory make sense to me. But, uh, you know, most people, they're sort of jumping to HIMARS, the 
US-built missile system that Ukraine's used to pretty devastating effect against Russian targets behind uh, Russian lines in occupied portions of Ukraine. The problem with that theory is that the specific ordinance for the HIMARS launchers that the US has given Ukraine, at least publicly, does not range any of the places that are getting hit with these explosions. So you can cross that out. Now, it's possible that the US is lying. It's possible that a third country has given Ukraine ATAC-MS the longer range HIMARS missiles. We don't know. I would consider that to be very unlikely, though, because Russia is very keen to sort of paint this as a war with the US and NATO, just as much as it is with Ukraine. So what you see with Russian officials is they're extremely quick. Anytime a Ukrainian strike happens behind lines, they automatically call it HIMARS, even if it isn't. But uh, yeah, there's also the smaller possibility that um, in recent weeks, it's sort of come out that the U.S. has given Ukraine this air launch missile that locks in on, on radar. There's been some chatter that that could have possibly been used for this, but I doubt that, too. Have these attacks impacted the direction of the war? Uh, yeah, so they have, you know, sort of twofold effect, both militarily and psychologically. So psychologically, it's sort of like, the, you know, this obvious dichotomy where Crimea is, is you know, nice beaches, Russians vacation there, especially during the summer when it's nice out, they can go to the beach. Uh, and now they're seeing, you know, air bases and ammo depots cooking off right in front of their faces as they're trying to get a suntan. Um, so sort of putting the reality of the war right in front of their face like that is an obvious, uh, obvious loss for the Kremlin. But militarily, uh, it sort of fits within this broader Ukrainian campaign to um, disrupt Russian efforts to supply and bolster forces occupying the south of Ukraine. So Kherson region, Zaporizhia region. Well, considering all that, what do you think folks should be watching for next? Uh, well, yeah, like I was saying, um, this campaign to sort of degrade Russia's ability to resupply and bolster their forces that are on the front lines in the south and are currently engaged in pretty heavy fighting, specifically in the Kherson region along like a 60-mile front. I think most people are sort of anticipating at some point Ukraine will try to launch a counteroffensive. They've been obviously talking about it quite a bit. Um, you could argue that time isn't on their side, considering their ability to do that is reliant heavily upon Western support, which is going to be finite. So you could argue the longer they wait, the worse off they are. They also want to integrate, you know, all these new weapon systems they're getting from the West into their battle doctrine, which takes time, takes time to train them. But no matter how you slice it, the campaign is going to be pretty difficult. Russia still has uh, advantages. I mean, they're playing defense. They've had time to dig. They've been occupying Kherson, for example, since like March 1st. And they still possess just a massive numerical advantage and things like artillery and stuff that are going to make it extremely costly and difficult for Ukraine to advance. And then there's the fact, of course, that, you know, we've seen Russia struggle heavily, you know, playing offense in this war. You know, their logistical issues, their troubles fighting in combined arms formations those are well documented from the push to kiev um but we haven't seen ukraine do that at all so if russia's struggling with it ukraine certainly will you know there's not going to be that combined arms effort uh that makes taking territory easy so uh definitely worth watching the southern theater of ukraine uh in the next couple of months to see what happens there well alex i think we're going to end it there but i thank you for your insight on all this really appreciate it yeah, no problem. Thanks, Jimmy. Take care. One quick note before you go. Our podcast will be taking off next week, so our next episode will be out September 8th. 
In the meantime, be sure to follow us on Twitter, where we'll still be posting breaking news. And as always, thank you for listening to The Factual Forecast. We publish our forward-looking podcast and newsletter each Thursday to help you get a jump start on the week ahead. Please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcasts. We'd love it if you'd consider telling a friend about us. Today's episode was produced with work from Factual Editors Owen Bonnerts, Sophie Perrier, Jaime Calle Moreno, and Alex Moore. Our interview featured editor Alex Moore, and our music comes courtesy of Andrew Gosby. Until next time, if you have feedback, suggestions, or events we've missed, drop us a note by emailing hello at factual.com. 